Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, I'm Rob Eigner, your host of Clear Choices, and I'm so excited to bring you our first official guest to the Clear Choices podcast. The guest that I have for you today is one of the people that was really the impetus for this entire concept of Clear Choices, and that is my mother and father, Eva and Leslie Eigner, both of whom are Holocaust survivors. And it is their story of survival and their powerful decisions and choices that they made after their experience that inspired me to start this concept. So in upcoming episodes, you're going to hear from many different guests from many different walks of life who've experienced many different hardships and have overcome them and created brilliance in their lives. But today we're going to start from what was the beginning for me, not only in my life, but also in the the idea of wanting to bring these inspiring stories to you, the audience, and that is my parents, Eva and Leslie Eigner. So I'm going to start today with my mother, Eva, who is a survivor of the Budapest ghettos and escaped Hungary in the 1956 timeframe and came to America, was a successful business owner and now a very prolific advocate for uh, peace advocacy and Holocaust and genocide education. So uh, without further ado, I'm very proud to introduce to you my mother, Eva Eigner. How are you doing today, Mom? I'm doing great. And uh, thank you for inviting us as your first guest for the choices. And we are so proud that you are continuing the work what we started many years ago. Because uh, the survivors are getting uh, older, including us, and we need people like you who continues this work, which is so important to people to know what discrimination and hate does to innocent lives. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, spoken like a true loving mother, uh, I appreciate that. So tell us, and I know it's hard to capture everything you went through in a few minutes, but give us a little history. Tell us your story of, you know, during the war, pre-war, during the war, and coming into America. Kind of tell us, give us a little sense of what you've been through. Well, I was born in uh, 1937, which was pretty much of the beginning of uh, all the atrocities and uh, hateful ideas which went through Europe. By 1939, in Slovakia, where I born, in a little town, Košice, the Nazi IDs fully arrived. My family was affected in 1939 when my father's uh, business license was taken away. He had a small business. He was a hat maker. Well, he was the first one in our family who had to make a huge choice. Uh, he didn't know how to support his family. I had a sister, my mom, the four of us. But with his license being taken away, he didn't have a way of supporting his family. 
and he made the choice to move his family to Budapest, Hungary, where he had a brother and enticed him that they have no such laws against the Jews at that time in Hungary. So with this choice, we moved. But my mother also insisted that she is not going to move unless her widowed sister with four children would come along. So we all, uh, nine of us, arrived to Budapest, find an apartment, settled in. And our life went okay for a short while. But then by 1942 or so, the Nazi IDs also started to arrive to Hungary. And uh, my father was indicted to the forced labor camp where he had to go in to do forced labor, building roads and bridges and digging ditches uh, by 1943. And, and how old were you when your father was taken away from the family? Uh, six years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, uh, that was the last time I saw him. I still remember uh, one day my father said to me, I want to take you to the park. And I was so proud walking down the street and going to the big park uh, with him in Budapest. He was holding my hand and I felt so secure and so happy. Well, I didn't realize that that was the last time that I was able to walk with my father because he was killed in the forced labor camp. By 1944, we had the so-called marked housing, where they marked some houses with a yellow star, and they started to move people into these uh, apartments. And the area where we lived was very close to the Jewish district. So our building, where the building where we lived, also was marked with a yellow star, and people were moved in there. We had like three other families uh, beside my aunt and her kids and us. Uh, All the men were taken away. My cousins who were old enough, they were taken away. And we thought we have no room because of having to share this uh, small apartment with so many people. Well, we find out later we had an awful other room because uh, in March of 1944, the... Hungarian Nazis, the Aerocross soldiers came and they told us we have to pack because we are going to be moved to the ghetto. So we only could take what we could carry. We went to the ghetto and it was 18 to 20 people to push into one small apartment because they took this old district, they emptied the regular population and they pushed in the Hungarian Jews from Budapest into these old buildings. Sometimes we didn't even have running water. We got mass feedings a couple of times a day. Life was very difficult. And one day while we were there with my mother, my sister who was eight years older than me, the Hungarian militiaman came, woke us up in the middle of the night, and they still took the able-bodied people. And our mother was in her mid-30s, and she also was selected and taken away from us. It was awful feeling because we already knew our father was killed. We got word. Uh, And now the last person who was our security was taken away from us and we were separated from the rest of the family. So my sister is the one who became my mother who was 15 at the time and I was going about seven. After our mother was taken away, not much 
later, maybe a couple of weeks later, we were woken up at night, and that was uh, December of 1944, and we were told that we are going to a, a, on a march. It was a terribly cold, snowy, frozen night. Luckily, my uh, sister grabbed our one and only blanket, and we had to march down at the night in that cold town, and they lined us up by the side of the Danube. What we heard uh, constantly, it was gunshots. We didn't know what was going on, uh, what was going on, but we knew that something terrible because we heard the screaming and the gunshots. In the meanwhile, we didn't know what happened to our mother, but I have to tell you, we survived by a total miracle of not being shot into the river with the rest of the people who were the oldsters, the children, and the sick because of our mother made a choice and she saved our life. She was taken down to the train station when they took her from us from the ghetto. They put her on the cattle cars toward the concentration camps and she made a brave decision when they opened the door that she jumped off of the rolling train and started to run toward the woods. And this soldier who wasn't a Nazi but was indicted into the war, this German soldier, held a gun on her and yelled, stop. And my mother got on her knees. Luckily, she spoke German and grabbed the boots of this man. And he said, she said to him, you know, my husband already been killed in this war. I have two children behind. If I don't get back to them, they never survive. And this man was a righteous man, a feeling man. And he said, you know, I have a family and three children waiting for me, a wife and three children. If I open you, we help you, I can get killed myself, but I will turn around with my gun, and if you can run, run. And my mom ran into the woods, walked during the night, and was hiding during the day, and she walked back to Budapest, sneaked into the ghetto, and didn't find us. But she did find out from others that they took down all the kids and old, old and sick people to the riverfront. She got herself to the riverfront and she recognized my sister's crying voice in the line. She bribed the guard in that line with her only precious thing which was left, her wedding ring. And with that, she saved our life. We ended up back in the ghetto. And this is how we survived. And by January, Mid-January, the Russian troops came in, liberated the ghettos, and this is the time when we were able to get back to our apartment where everything was emptied out and confiscated. There was only a few things left, a few papers in a corner that nobody had used for, my father's prayer shawl, and uh, also his uh, other prayer items. And that's the only thing we had left from our past, but we had our life. And uh, the only thing I have to add, my mother was a very brave woman. She sat my sister and myself on her lap, and she said, children, we lost so much. We lost our family. Everybody who was in Slovakia was taken to the camps, and they didn't survive. We lost our belongings, but now we have the three of us, each other. And you have to promise me, you're going to make the best of your life. And her words never left me. And this is how I wanted to 
do my best all my life. And I feel thankful that with some of this thought in my head all the time, we succeeded. We were able to add to this community's life where we live. That's uh, very, very powerful. I appreciate you sharing. I know it's not, not easy to talk about that. Um, a couple of things come to my mind as I hear that story, uh, that history, which of course I've heard many times uh, and have even delivered it myself. You know, it, it brings to my mind not only the choices you had to make, which soon after this, uh, you decided to move to America and make that big life change. So I want to talk about that. But I also want to talk a little bit about the choices your parents had to make. Uh, your father chose to move you to Budapest. That had to be difficult and scary, I'm assuming. And your mother made the very bold choice, as you talked about, to escape at risk to her own peril in order to rescue you. And there's this concept in Holocaust education of choiceless choices, choices that people really had no choice, but they, they had to kind of succumb to their situation. Do you look at the choices that your parents made as choiceless choices or conscious choices? I think my father made a conscious choice Mm-hmm. because he always kept himself up on what's going on. He was listening to the radio, and which wasn't always a lot. And he listened to the radio and heard things what was happening already in different places. And he truly felt when his uh, business license was taken away and he couldn't even get an employment, that he had to make a choice to get out of there. And then with his brother, who already lived in Budapest, Hungary, telling him that there are no such laws over there, he made the choice to move because he wanted to save his family. I understand. So hearken back to being a seven-year-old girl for a second, and you're going through all this hardship where you're being discriminated against. Your friends treat you differently because you're Jewish. Your father has been taken away. Your mother has rescued you from a a near-death situation. Can you think back and and say to yourself, you had to make any kind of choices at that point to have a survivor's mentality or how to cope with this? Or were you just kind of on autopilot and day-to-day survival? How would you describe it? As a child, uh, I didn't fully understand what's happening, and I always had while my father was with us, and then later my mother, always that unconditional love. So I didn't fully understand politically what's happening and just went along with the flow. However, I can remember back an incident which was life-changing for me. That was opened my eyes to look around that something is different going on in our life because I was barely going for about, only about three months to first grade And then we were not allowed, Jewish children were not allowed to go to school anymore. One day, every every morning, we had to get up and say the Hungarian prayer in the classroom by the Hungarian flag. And this one particular morning, the teacher said, Jewish children, stand up. And it was six or seven of us in this class. And we were told that we have to go out of the room because we are not allowed to say the prayer with the rest of the group because we are Jewish. And uh, 
the kids made, the other kids made fun of us. They were yelling uh, slogans like pigs and different things. And uh, I didn't understand what's happening. So when I was going back home on that day from school, I was crying all the way home. And I told my mother what happened. And my mother said, you know, I want you to know we are good people, no matter what these people say. We are good people. We are law-abiding people. We pray to God. There is only one God. But these people don't understand that. But these are the laws. And unfortunately, nothing we can do about it. We have to abide the law because we can lose our lives. So, so how would you describe your, how you process that or what you remember about how you helped your, how did you help yourself cope with that? It was a rude awakening. I didn't understand why I am different. What have we done? Because we have such a loving and caring family and we always try to be good. I remember my father was a very religious man and even we didn't have so much. He always had a little bowl out with change if people came by who didn't have enough to eat. He offered a little something for them, either food or, or uh, a soup or, or, or some few change what he had to share. So I didn't know why we were handled like that. But things rapidly so changed that I had to learn to get along and live in this climate. And because I was always short and very little when we were in the ghetto, my mom, we each had a little bowl to go for the mass feedings. And sometime by the time we got to the mass feedings to get a bowl of soup, they were out. But because I was so little, my mom said, go with your bowl, you can get through the line easier. So I learned to be sort of savvy about this. And I would cross the line two, three times in order to be able to bring a little soup to my mom too and to my sister. And that made me feel so proud that being so young, I could bring a little food for my family. Do you recall either yourself or your sister or your mother ever feeling like you wanted to give up? No, uh, I don't. My mother always said, no, uh, we just uh, have to go along and uh, hopefully we can make it. Mm-hmm. So let's She so, never talked about giving up. She okay. kept us going. Okay, so, let, so let's flash forward a little bit. So now let's flash forward to when you were... How old were you when you decided you'd met, you'd met my father and you decided that the two of you were going to escape and go to America? How old were you? Well, um, I wasn't quite 19 when the Hungarian Revolution broke out against communism. So I guess, you know, we went through a lot of Nazism and then communism. And so we lived under 11 years under communism. And your dad was introduced uh, to me by a very distant relative of his. And with our background and being young, we fell in love and we had so much in common. And then six months after we got married, we got married in May. And in October 23rd, the revolution broke out against communism. And for a while, it looked like the revolution won and uh, maybe they will be able to uh, get the Soviet troops out of the country. And uh, in December, it was still tremendous food shortages. Uh, It was tough, but we were hoping for the best. And we didn't want to leave my mother and sister, unless we didn't want to leave his father and stepmother. And he had also one sister. 
because the little family we had, it meant so much. So we were hoping for betterment, a better life. So one day we were standing in line for bread, and there were two men, young men, standing behind us, and we heard them talking. He said, let's get rid of the communists first, then we get the leftover Jews. And uh, we were scared to say anything. We looked at each other, which are dead, and we knew in that moment we are not staying in this country any longer. We decided we do not want to give birth to children in this country where there is still so much hate. Mm -hmm. So uh, we went over to say goodbye to your dad's uh, father and his stepmother. And then immediately they made the choice they want to come with us because my mother-in-law had a son here in this country who was also a survivor. Okay, let me, let me interject, please. How quickly did you make that decision to move, to escape Hungary? Uh, within three days, we left. So the, you made the decision, and three days later, you were on your way to leaving the country. We had a backpack. That's all we took. Uh, my mom couldn't come with us because my sister was desperately ill with pneumonia, and she wasn't going to leave her daughter there when she is ill. So she couldn't come. And we were also careful that people would know that she knew that we're leaving because she could have been punished that uh, we were escaping. So we just went with our backpack and uh, got on the train. And it was going to be Christmas Eve on that night. And we purposely chose that day to go because we knew that... Um, people maybe uh, on the borderline, they would be celebrating. So it would be an easier night to escape. So we got on the train, and uh, several times they asked for our identification, and they said, where are we going? And we said, we are going to a small town to celebrate, fam visiting family and celebrate with them. So somehow we looked very honest, and they believed us. And then we got off. At the border town, we got off of the train, and my mother-in-law couldn't walk in this deep snow. So there was a farmer there with a, uh, a horses and a buggy, and we approached him if he could uh, give a ride. But he, as it turned out to be, he was helping escapees for a, quite a few times because people started to escape already in October when the revolution broke out. This was pretty late when we went. We were hoping for the best. And he took us into his barn where it was 13 of us. He gathered together five children and uh, the rest of them were adults. And he said to us, your money is not going to worth anything when you cross the country in Austria, but uh, I will give you white sheets uh, if you give me your money. And you can cover up in the snow when they show uh, throwing up flares to lighten up the border. And then that will really help you to blend into the snow. Escape. So, so mm -hmm. let, me, let me go back. And that's just such an incredible story. Uh, having heard it so many times, it's still in incredible to me. All the miracles that occurred to help, help you survive and, and get here. But I, I, I still want to drill down a little deeper 
in sure. terms in terms of your choices and your process. So what calculations did you have to make, you know, you and your husband or your other family members to to navigate all this? I mean, there there was so much risk. There was so much at stake. Uh, you made this decision very quickly in a couple of days from having conceived it to having actually being on the road. Is there anything you would have done differently? Was there anyone you consulted that gave you good advice or bad advice? Talk to me a little bit about the choices and the decisions you had to make. We had to make the choice ourselves because, you know, at that time, you didn't know who was going to report you. So you could not get advice from people unless you totally trusted. So we were not going to uh, ask advice from anybody. But, you know, 150,000 Hungarians escaped from the time of October 23rd until about the end of December. So we knew that a lot of people did escape. I also know that uh, that sister escaped, um, had an infant son. And she got captured on the border. Mm -hmm. And she was very lucky she didn't end up being uh, in jail for it. So I, we knew it was a chance to take. But we were so determined and we made the choice that we absolutely don't want to stay that uh, we decided we're going to take the chance. Whatever happens, happens. And we will try to get through this and we want to come to the United States. And is there anything you would have done differently? Looking back, not to having come to America, I know that that's a choice you would never want to change, but in terms of how you left, when you left, how you prepared, how you were emotionally prepared for it, is there anything that you would have done different or was there anything that you regret? I wish we would have made the decision earlier. Uh, and we would have left earlier when it was easier to cross because by the time we were crossing, the Russian troops, the border guards, were constantly putting up flares and, and looking for people who is escaping. When it first started, this part wasn't organized. Uh, the border was more open. They picked up all the mines on the borderline just before all you know, just before the revolution broke out. So this why it was even a chance. Before that, if you try to escape, you got blown up. I wish we would have done it uh, maybe a little bit earlier. Let me ask you, let, let, me, the family. Let, me, let me ask you a question about having, wanting to having done it earlier, or may, having made a quicker decision. Has that been a lesson for you throughout your life? Like, does that stay with you now when you're feeling hesitation in your day-to-day -day life now in America, that, that that's, that's helped you maybe process difficult choices easier? Yes, it does. Uh, I learned not to be a procrastinator and go with my gut feeling. And so is your dad. We just, uh, sometimes, you know, you just have to feel if you really believe in something, you have to follow your choice. So, so talk to me a little bit about that. I want to hear a little bit about, you know, you said gut feeling. I want to hear a little bit about intuition. How have you learned to trust your intuition and how has that, how has that paid off for you? It really paid off to listen to our gut feelings because we are not the kind of a 
people who like to make hasty decisions. But you have to be very aware of your uh, surroundings, your situation, and what's going around you. And sometimes you just have to take a chance in life to better yourself. And we, should, we could have made the chance earlier, but as it turned out, I guess we were fortunate that we still made it uh, to the United States. But it was very fortunate that we came into the United States. President Eisenhower gave a quota of 30,000 Hungarians who were asking for political asylum to come to this country. And by the time we got there, that quota was closed. And the only reason we were able to come into this country because he extended it with five more thousand people who would have somebody who would sponsor them. Mm -hmm. And again, here was, uh, if I may tell you, I made one more brave, if I say so, move. When we got to the Viennese American consulate, finally, it was groves and groves of people standing by around the block. And uh, it didn't look like we ever can get in. People were hoping to get into this extended 5,000 people. And my mother-in-law was keep saying, I am going no place else, just to my son, to America. And uh, so as we were standing in this line, I saw that a uh, person would come out and yell out a family name when they were calling for somebody. But it was so many people that the chance for us to get in was almost zero. At one point, they were calling a family where they had six or seven children. Well, I was still, you know, under the circumstances, I braided my hair because I wanted to make sure, you know, that I can halfway take care of myself. You know, we didn't have the situation for showers and the accommodations. It was all in camps and in different places. So I braided my hair and not being, you know, being so young, I somehow sneaked between that family and it looked like I was one of the children. So when, when I went into the building with this family, the name was Kovac, which means in English, Smith family, a very common name, the same common name in Hungary. So I walked in with them to the consulate and then I was hiding behind this big Heller, because you know these are old ancient buildings and I was watching what was going on and then I saw somebody came out of the office gave the paper to the guard at the door and he yelled out the name and then everybody yelled on on the line Kovac family uh, whatever family who's the family so I picked up one of those papers which I saw on the floor and I put on Eigner family and gave it to the guard he never made, you know, never even looked at me. He just took that the paper and started to yell down the line, Eigner family. Mm. And my family was very upset that I'm not with them. They didn't realize that I was the one who initiated this. So they came in. I saw my father-in-law behind the pillar. I said, Papa, you speak German. Nobody called us. I put our name down. But now we are in. Let's see uh, what's happening next. So he went in, and it happened to me that Leslie's stepbrother had a uh, affidavit of acceptance waiting for his mother. 
And that's how we got into the last 5,000 to be able to come on the last ship to the United States. So, so that was incredibly courageous to pick up a piece of paper, put your name on it, give it to a guard, all with the hopes that it would get, it, get you through this immigration line and also facing the risk of being caught of trying to, you know, essentially cheat the system that they had set up. So, so many bold, bold choices that you made. I want to flash forward now to the point where you've gone through American immigration, you've moved across the country from the East Coast to the West Coast, you settle in Portland, Oregon, which is my home where I was raised. And tell me about some of the choices you made there. You started a business, you had children. Tell me how those choices were made, given all this challenging history that you've been through. When we first came to Portland, we had not known the language. We didn't have any money. We didn't know anybody else uh, here except uh, my stepmother's son. And it was a very difficult start. So we did any kind of a job that we could do. So I went house cleaning. Your dad did yard work, and we did whatever we could to be able to pay the rent uh, where we lived together with your uh, grandparents. Well, let me let me ask you a question. So you did these kind of menial jobs. You did whatever you had to do. Was that was that in and of itself difficult for you guys? Was it difficult for you to do work that was maybe under your skill level or whatever? What were those choices like? Was there a choice there for you? You know, it wasn't a choice, and we were willing to do anything it takes to get settled and get started in our new life. So we didn't take it as a hardship. Uh, We were so elated that we went to a grocery store, and it was plenty of food. We didn't have to stand in line. Everything was a betterment. Mm -hmm. So as things progressed and you became more Americanized and more comfortable in this new found country that, of course, gave you more options from a work point of view and a food point of view and your living situation was better. What was it like making the decision? I'm assuming it had to be a little daunting to start a business in a new country where you hardly knew the language. Well, it was a big decision to make because uh, after three months, uh, I went to cosmetology school which I always wanted to do. So I was uh, thankful that I got a working scholarship. Again, this wasn't given, uh, you know, like on a silver platter because uh, I went to school and then with your dad on the weekends, we painted the school, we cleaned the school. Uh, That's how I was able to go freely to school. But I was very proud and thankful when I was able to go through and pass my exam and got my license, uh, a full cosmetology license. And then I worked for a gentleman for about 10 years who was originally from Poland. And uh, after a while, when he got ill, I managed his business. So I got a little taste of how to run a business. And when he passed away, I decided I was going to strike out and open my own business. But it was difficult because nobody wanted to give a business loan. We were very much, uh, you know, starting and uh, we had a mortgage and it was just uh, very hard to get started. But we decided we just about 
took up a loan against our car and everything else in order to be able to start this business. And I owned and operated it for 14, almost 15 years. And it was very successful. And I never felt bad about being a working mother because we spent all our time when we didn't work with the family. It worked out perfect. So uh, I'm going to totally do a, a switching of gears here for a second. Tell me how this quote that I'm going to read you resonates with you and relates to your life. May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. How does that relate to you? I feel that sort of fits me. That, yes, uh, it was all hope because we had the American dream and we wanted to have our hope was always when we have children, they will be educated, which wasn't even a chance back in the life what we live before we came to the United States. So I think everything was a hope and we had plans and hopes which are that together what we want to do. And we work toward that. And I think when you have hope and you have plans that you want to better yourself, it's, it's not a blind chance. It's a choice. So, so thank you for that. And I agree a hundred percent. Now I'm going to say something that, you know, might be uncomfortable, but you know, obviously, you know, you have dealt with some fear and anxiety over the years from this experience, but you know, like all of us do in everyday life, we all have our sense of you know anxiety and fear about certain things. So, how have you chosen to deal with that when you when when you're when you're faced with anxiety or fear today? How do you how do you choose to deal with it? You know, as you get to a certain point in life and you have life experiences as many as we have behind us you realize that even though we all have fears, and I think people who don't ever think about, you know, what could go wrong, maybe they are really not thinking uh, correctly because there is always pros and cons for everything. But I realize that in the long run, if you take uh, the right choices, they, they work out. So I don't say that I, I do have anxiety. And of course, coming from the background where we go there, Still, every once in a while, those moments are haunting us. But it also gives me the strength to think if I overcome so many obstacles, that the choices what we're making now is really the right choice. I see. I uh, appreciate that. So you went through the Holocaust. You escaped and came to a new country. You successfully started a, a business of your own. You raised a family under what I would say are relatively fairly, you know, very normal, healthy circumstances. And then, and then another choice that you and dad made had just prolific impact on the rest of your life. And that was when you finally decided to start talking about your history. So talk to me about that choice. What was that like to openly for the first time, say, yes, we're Jewish. We survived the Holocaust. Here's what that was like. Here's what that means. Talk to me about that. That was a difficult choice to make because out of fear of what we went through, my mom always said, don't talk about religion. Don't talk about your Jewishness because of our background. She wanted to protect us. 
So that was instilled in me. And even after all the years being in this country, uh, that fear stayed with me. But in the mid to late 80s, Lada deniers came out and they said the Holocaust didn't happen. And they had a headline in the Oregonian about that. And that's what made us so upset and angry with uh, your dad. We said, we are witnesses. We live that. How dare anybody says that this historical event didn't happen. And uh, we just decided we had to come out and contradict these people who wants to spread evil again. And how surprised are you or how unexpected was it that that initial decision to speak up for the first time about this history of yours, how surprised are you that that choice then led to all the impact that it's had in your life and the life of countless others? Well, we never dreamed of that, uh, that that will happen. But the more we got involved, we realized that how many people still don't have the right picture, how some people don't even know what happened during the Holocaust. They didn't know the history. And then the other ones denied that it never happened. So then we somehow, both that and I felt it was our duty to share our experiences in order to let people know that how these discriminatory laws, what they uh, put on other people affecting lives. And I'm very proud that we did that. I never thought um, it seems like one step led to another. And um, I still say, I think besides giving birth to our children and raising them, the biggest accomplishment in our life to be able to be part of creating the Oregon Educational Holocaust Memorial. Let me, for the audience, uh, let me kind of recap some of your key accomplishments that the two of you have been involved in. One is my parents were heavily involved in building a Holocaust memorial in Portland, Oregon, that is beautiful and very well trafficked by local schools, etc. That took years and years of advocacy. They also spent a similar amount of time and energy to help build uh, or be part of the committee to advise on and build and raise the money for a Jewish museum in downtown Portland. And possibly most significantly, not that it's easy to rank all these things, but possibly most significantly, they recently were significant participants in the effort to pass legislation in the state of Oregon to make Holocaust and genocide-related education mandatory in the public school system. So. Those three things, not to mention the hundreds of thousands of people, students, churchgoers, synagogue goers, business people that they have spoken to and told their testimony to, that is a major legacy that you too have helped create. So I'm sure you never could have guessed that that first choice to talk about your history could have led to all that 37, 40, 37 to 40 years later. For sure, we didn't. And I still remember one of the first speaking engagements. I don't say it was the first one, but one of the first one. It was an Anne Frank exhibit in Astoria, Oregon, in a uh, coastal town. And they were busing in a 
the children to her survivors. And a couple of the speakers uh, didn't make it. So on that day, Dad and I had to speak eight times. Oh, my. And I remember we, we were both up all night long, and we had a little bit of a breakdown. But <laughs> then I think that broke us in because we realized the difference what we made. And, you know, it was sort of like you can either stay to be a victim or you can turn this around and tell people what happened and say, we are not victims, we are survivors. And out of this, we created this educational programs and teaching future generation what they shouldn't do to others. Yeah, and that's, that's super powerful. And it also, I just have to say, I resonate with that myself to a great degree because even though I myself am not a survivor of the Holocaust, I feel like there's part of that experience that the two of you went through that is completely part of my DNA. And whatever challenges I face or have faced so far in my life, I feel like that is somehow fuel and, and informs me in terms of the kind of person I choose to be when I'm faced with challenges. It's not that challenges are easy for me, or it's not that I don't have my fears and anxieties. It's just that I, I guess I'm fueled by the understanding that my own DNA, my own parents went through what they went through, and that gives me the strength to go through what I need to go through. Don't put a second thing that second generation is not as important, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. First of all, it shows that we had strength, and uh, from the ashes, life came through, and uh, the survival is continuing. And it's almost 75 years since the liberation of the camps, so there is not too many survivors left. Dad was not quite 16 when he was liberated, but the people who were in their 20s and 30s are no longer with us. So your role as a second generation and continuing teaching the history of what happened during the Holocaust and what we learned from it and what humanity should learn from it is very important. It's both your dad and me a great comfort to know that these stories won't be forgotten. Well, and, and that's one of the, the things that makes me so impassioned about this podcast, Clear Choices, is that not only is it a platform for me to be able to keep the history alive of, of people like you and dad and others, but there are many, many inspiring people in the world. They don't have to have been Holocaust survivors, and they don't have to be people who have experienced uh, horrible physical tragedies or other obstacles. There are many inspirational people in day-to-day -day life. And it is your story or your history that has compelled me to seek out all these inspiring individuals that can be teachers to us all. So I, I'm very grateful uh, to, to have this platform uh, to continue that sort of legacy. So in closing, let me ask you, is is there anything 
that you haven't shared or that I haven't asked that you believe is is an important message that you want the audience to hear, not only about your history, but more importantly, possibly about choices, about how your choices have impacted your life and the life of others and what you've learned from your choices or choices you maybe regret that you did or didn't make, what lessons do you want to leave the audience with? Uh, My message is that what I learned out of this, that acceptance is the most important thing I learned. Instead of looking for people's differences, we have to look for a common thread between human beings and accept one another. There is many people who came from different countries, from different backgrounds. Uh, We have to accept this difference. I don't care if it's religious or nationality or gender, whatever. We are all human beings. And if we give respect and love instead of hate, we all become better people. Yeah. Well, I I couldn't agree more. And in today's day and age, in our political climate and our social climate uh, in uh, today's fast-moving, technology-based society. I think that sentiment that you just shared is extremely important and powerful. And I'm hoping that this podcast and your message uh, will help make a dent in some of the opposite ways of thinking that we have uh, transpiring in our world today. So, With having said all that, obviously you've been an inspiration to me. I'm certain that you will have been an inspiration to uh, our listeners today. I will make sure that on our website and on social media, there will be an opportunity for people to see uh, and obtain additional links to some of the talks you have given. So people, if they're interested in learning more about your history they can obtain that. So we're going to make sure that's available. And I'm just so appreciative of you sharing your history today, being my first guest. And I can't wait to add dad's story as the the next piece of this um, ongoing motivational piece to clear choices. So thank you so, so much, mom. And thank you too. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.